Hello and welcome to the super colorful original telecommunicated transmission, otherwise known as Scottcast. I've got fan favorite Ian Dixon here in sunny Hamtramck, Michigan. Well, it's not that sunny. Not so sunny today. It's not so sunny. It's so unsunny that uh, it has rendered me into a state of stupor depression. And I've been mostly mulling about my 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 headquarters, thinking of ways we can finally get this whole dug. Thinking of ways we can, and, but also channel some sunlight down there because mm. if I can't handle two days. <laughs> <laughs> It's going to be a problem living there forever. You know. You know, what do you think what do you think does that? Is it is it like a psychoactive response to the sun? Is it like, "Oh, I just need that I just I just need some of them rays." Vitamin D. Mm. Need that D in my life. Could be. D. You need you need the D. I do need the D. Not just the sun, but also need we need to get David on. It's it's ever since we've I haven't talked to him really ever since inception. Yeah. November 16th, it's a Friday, so it's a cast day. You're free? Probably. Okay, we gotta record Scott Cast Saves Christmas that day. November 16th. That's right. I've got a fantastic idea for it where we're gonna have... I'm gonna have me and Sabelle, we're gonna be on it, mm-hmm. and we're gonna be co-judges. Okay. And there's gonna be games, and each of us are gonna judge the games, and there's gonna be a Team Ian, and there's gonna be a Team Sneaky D, and we're gonna have two surprise guests. So it's going to be Feudcast Part 2. Yeah, but like with teams and guests. <laughs> and, and the games will actually make sense and be competitive. Ah. And uh, I'm not going to bother with video. Because <laughs> I need... If, if we're going to do video, we got to focus on... Uh, we got to focus on Ian's Cult Kitchen. Yeah. Got to get that ick going. Uh, I, uh, I wish I had more time to put that together. I was real excited to do it, and then I think... When the sun went away, it kind of killed my motivation as well. It zapped your energy too. Yeah, we got to fuck. We got to figure out how to defeat this fucking sun or these clouds or whatever. One of the two we need to defeat. We need to defeat our need for the sun, or we need to defeat the clouds for obstructing the sun from our view. One of the two. I think our need for the sun because we've already established that the sun is going to kill us. Yeah, fuck the sun. Like, we're addicted to the sun, is what this is. This is an addiction. Like, it goes away for a little bit, and all of a sudden, we're we're little pansies who can't handle it. Yeah. You know? Pansy's an okay word these days, right? You can um, say pansy. It's just a flower. In the context of our conversation, yes, flowers die without the sun. Exactly. And it's, it's, it makes a lot of sense to say pansy. Yeah. So that makes sense. A lot of people are getting fired these days. Is that over, right? Over saying crap. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, like like particularly like lately, it's been there's been a rash of it. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not going to try to defend anything anybody said because <laughs> that's a rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's like a little crazy that people can't go through, can't engage in some sort of discourse, and in a uh, thought experimenting. Well, I think yeah, uh, within reason, yeah. Right, right, yeah. Like there's certain. It's good that I'll I'll never be. Fired from Scott Cast. No, no, for that, anything that I say. And if you do, it's going to be like something like uh, criticizing like, oh, me. <laughs> I have uh, an extra two hours in my week now. Sweet. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't getting compensated for those two hours. <laughs> for crying out loud. So yeah, no, that's not. That's never going to happen. Yeah, I'm never going to fire you for that reason. And besides your fan favorite, if I did that, the backlash would be immense. True. If anything, I'm going to get. I'm, I'm going to get kaputs for these ideas. 
you know, I was talking to my mom earlier today about all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, she's she's part of the uh, previous generation. So she looks at this and she sees uh, hysteria essentially yeah. all around. And I look at it and I see, I see I see people trying to come to grips with how to express and how to and how to move forward with uh, ethical thought experiments. Yeah. Like, I feel like there's a lot of very strong reactions that might be overly strong, but I also feel like the reaction being there is is appropriate, and it just needs to be gauged. Yeah. You know, people it's need to be... well-intentioned. Uh, well-intentioned. We've been so socialized to shit on certain groups of people that it's mm-hmm. like, oh, we, we need to stop doing that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But also, uh, it shouldn't ruin somebody's life. We should be able to have a conversation and, and learn and move forward. Yeah. My main problem, if I have a problem at all with any of this, is I feel like people might be using it as some sort of tool mm-hmm. to get rid of people. Like, they wait for them to trip up and something like that. They own in on it, and they do it. Like, the Netflix guy, you hear about this guy? No. He was in this meeting uh, talking about content for their comedies. Mm-hmm. And he was talk. He was defending the rights of comedians or something like that to use whatever words possible. Mm-hmm. And within this diatribe, apparently he got emotional, and he and he was listing off words of which he included the word I will never utter, even in start with N. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And and for that reason and for many other reasons, I'll never utter. I just feel totally uncomfortable with the idea. Like I don't even in when I listen to rap songs and I'm singing along and stuff like that and I'm going like I've discovered the perfect you pause I don't pause no I discovered the perfect replacement for it because okay. semantically it matches with usually the intent of the word in the song mm-hmm. and and I got this from watching Canadian television mm-hmm. uh, buddy okay if you just submit if you just use buddy in terms of that word mm-hmm. when you're singing it works rhythmically mm-hmm. it works in the context and usually like people are just talking about my buddies you know mm-hmm. like as my buddy okay right it makes sense and it just works you know all these buddies out here trying to come at me stuff like that <laughs> 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 so i found a way to be able to semantically continue these conversations even mimic them word for word in a rhythmic style that leaves no pause and also not saying it also being evading the i could work for netflix and i could keep my job and i could say anything i want uh because i've figured out a way not to be a dick yeah (laughs) it's it's a little strange when people are get a little over defensive about their right to use that word when uh when they're white it's like what's going on why are you why are you defending your right to use that word even in other contexts why do you need to I've never come across that a white person defending their right for that word. I have. <laughs> it's it's uncomfortable. Were you, were you down south? <laughs> Maybe like uh, south of Northville, but um, like it's just very uncomfortable. It makes you mm-hmm. want to. It's like I'd, let's pay for these chicken fingers and get out of here, kind of situation. And well, that's the thing. Like, yeah, you you have the right to say anything you want, but. There's also consequences for things we say, and mm-hmm. yeah, you just gotta adapt <laughs> to it. Just stop being a dick. Yeah, just don't be a dick. There's no need to say it. If I can, if I can go through the entirety of Tupac's catalog without having to say it 
or sacrifice music or lyricism in doing so with a simple substitution, then nobody else really needs to use it. Agreed. You know? So, that's my opinion on that. I just felt like I needed to get that out. Yeah. That's Scott Cast is about language. That's what Scott Cast is for. Yeah. We agree. Did we find something we agree on? People shouldn't be assholes? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Because we, we had trouble before, like, coming to a conclusive True. opinion on something. And I feel like we just did. Yeah. And it was really easy. There's no reason to use discriminatory language. We're like ten minutes in. Bam. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, let's get some more softballs in here. So, oh, anyway, today's the Halloween special. Yeah. I'm excited for Halloween. It's almost here. It's almost here. Week. Uh, when is it? This week? It's Wednesday? Wednesday. Yeah. On Wednesday, we're going to have Halloween. Uh, Wednesdays, I usually record the dispatch. So, unless I find a way to get over to the Dixons, we might have to sacrifice our annual board game night. Oh. But I feel like we could substitute it with, like, three board game nights. Sure. Make it a board game night marathon. Heck yeah. We'll report back on it in, uh, on ScottCast. We'll create a narrative and uh, try to enthrall people through the ups and downs of our board gaming. That could be good. I'm sure that's real exciting to, to listen about. Oh, yeah. A little playback. <laughs> a little play-by-play. I mean, I feel like if we use the right you know, language and if mm-hmm. we tell the story in, in, in a way that uh, brings suspense and mm-hmm. brings people into it... and and gives people motivation to see who wins. Like, we can, on the website, scottcast.us, we can open up a little yeah. gambling page. Like a little play-by-play thing? Yeah. Like, you can go in, and, like, before you listen to the episode, uh, you can, like, put in $5 on Ian, $5 on Scott, and then you put the money in, and then you listen, and maybe you win, maybe you lose. Maybe you get the pot, maybe you don't. You know? Who do you think... Do you, do you think the Scott, Scott Castigators, Master Charles, Bell, and uh, I think my mom, do you think they would go for you, the rational, uh, careful individual, or would they go for Scott, the, the, the risk-taking maverick of the Scott Cast universe? It probably depends on the game. If it was like a high-risk, high-reward, you might be a, a better bet. Although, you know, and Sheriff, I'm always calling you out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I just love to lie. Can't get that contraband past me. That's right. Sheriff of Nottingham, the purpose of the game is to is to take resources, sneak them past the Sheriff of Nottingham, who's, who changes every turn, and get the most resources. And, and the idea is you lie about what you have in your bag so that you can get more resources in, more point values, and get contraband like crossbows and stuff when you're saying you're just bringing in apples and whatnot. And you can do all that kind of thing. So we're, we'll give you a play-by-play of that amazing game. <laughs> I know everyone's at the edge of their seats right now. Master Charles paused his game. <laughs> He's like, oh my god, how's that game gonna... Well, what's gonna happen here? He's got his money out. He's got his checkbook out. His Master Charles checkbook. How many cocks did he say he had? How many cocks does he have? It's Scott. Probably three. (laughs) (laughs) I remember him saying three cocks before. So we decided to prepare for this episode, and we prepared by watching a series of, in my opinion, fantastic movies. I'm glad you enjoyed them. I did enjoy them, actually. I was pleasantly pleasantly surprised by the the way these captured my imagination and stuck with me in the days that followed. I kind of almost miss this quality of horror movie mm-hmm. that exists. We watched 
three horror movies. Two of them were like 90s era. And the third was made in 1969 or something along those lines. 60s, 70s, yeah. 60s, 70s. A Hammer horror film, which was like a British production company around that time. Right. So we watched Sam Neill's In the Mouth of Madness. And God, I love Sam Neill. Like, I feel like... I feel like that was my favorite one purely because I loved watching Sam Neill battle his tobacco addiction, <laughs> which I feel like was the primary purpose of that. Because really, if you if you look at a story, the idea is that they're they're constantly battling something throughout the story, mm-hmm. and at the end, they either won or they lost, and that's presented to you. And throughout the entire movie, Sam Neill is smoking cigarettes, but at the end, when he finally succumbs to utter madness. He never smokes. Well, he <clears throat> he smoked. The whole movie was him talking, almost the whole movie was him talking to the psychiatrist, right? And the psychiatrist gave him a cigarette, and he smoked it, and apparently told this hour-long story and was still smoking the same cigarette at the end. Right. But, but after that cigarette, <laughs> when the world descended into madness, spoilers, he left the, the sanitarium and... Wandered through the streets. I guess the, yeah, that went was, to a movie. That was the end of it. He never went to a convenience store. True. He wasn't like pack of spokes, please, Mister Monster Individual. He just enjoyed the movie. Mm-hmm. He had a great time. He was laughing, laughing madly. What I wonder though is how, when in a world of complete disrepair, where literally no one survives and no one's around, mm-hmm. how is it that a movie is playing at the cinema and a popcorn machine is fully functional? You think Sam well, did anything? It was uh it was pretty meta. It was like we were in a world within a world, so it was I don't know how 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 spoilery are we gonna be? As spoiler as possible. <laughs> <laughs> I've already said the exact ending. So, you know, like the premise of the movie is okay. he's like uh what is it, an insurance claims uh he's a lawyer. investigator. Yeah. Yeah, fraud. So he's like catching people trying to fuck the insurance companies. He's really good at it. Um, they've there's this uh, horror writer Sutter Kane, mm-hmm. who's like the most popular horror writer in history, and uh, but he's disappeared, and we gotta find him because he's got this book that we paid a big front for, and right, and he's like, oh, this is a publicity stunt, fuck you guys, and he goes to this town to try to find Sutter Kane, and this town is a place that Sutter Kane invented in his book. Sam Neill finds himself in that town. Hint, hint, Sam Neill is a character in the book. (laughs) Yeah. The book was also made into a movie, and Sam Neill is in the movie and also watching the movie, which may all be taking place in the book. So we're like in some series of parallel universes. I think the idea is that the movie that he watches... Yeah, what is reality in the movie that he watches is the movie that we are currently watching, mm-hmm. and we're going to go mad now and start killing each other. I was careful of that. I had some bad dreams after that. Yeah. Like, I think somewhat in the mouth of madness sort of dreams, nothing like uh, nothing like weird tentacles coming out of grandmas or anything like that. Mm-hmm. No tentacle dreams. Okay. But I had this dream where Peter the Landlord came home, and he had a party. Mm-hmm. And he opened my place to the party, and all of a sudden, all these people were around. Chain smoking. Chain smoking <laughs> in my place. And I'm like, why are you chain smoking in my place? And the climax of this nightmare where I woke up in a fright was 
one of these people stole all my microphones. Hmm. And they and they left, and I and I was like, "What's going on? Someone invaded my home and stole my microphones." Sabal so says this is a clear sign of uh, anxiety in my life. Hmm. You know what? What do you think? Do you do dream interpretation? Not professionally. Not professionally, but do you do it like? Do Do you believe in it? Do you believe that dreams have some sort of? Um. Yes and no. Okay. What does it do? What do you think it has? Dreams are. They take place during REM sleep, so that's the most restful time of sleep. Mm-hmm. And that's when your brain kind of processes what has happened throughout your day. Okay. So that's how you, you create long-term memory. Okay, so and that's for sure. That's like science right there. That's Yes, yeah, sleep science. That's sleep science. Um, and as far as, like, images and what they mean, I think it's interesting. I, I'm a fan of Freud and his his book interpretation of dreams and that inspired all of dolly's work and you know i'm a dolly fan that's right i'm a burning giraffe tattoo you're a freud fan you're a dolly fan is freud can if you say for i think you told me before freud's not considered uh i don't know what is it kosher but like he's not considered uh, he's uh no one takes him seriously in like the actual mental health world do you? these days not i don't I don't model my practice after his okay. teachings, no. <laughs> uh, I mean, kids are coming in, you're like, do you want to have sex with your mother? <laughs> have you ever read Oedipus Rex? <laughs> like, to an extent, there are, there are practicing psychoanalysts, but they don't, it's not like the traditional Freud stuff. Like, his daughter actually had more of an impact on, like, the current really? practices. Like, yeah. his daughter became a psychoanalyst. Mm-hmm. And then published her own theories. Mm-hmm. Did she like refute Freud herself? Like, was she like, Man, I, my dad's crazy. He's a crackpot. I'm not real familiar with her work. Okay. I just know that hers is like more in line with the current standards for psychoanalysis. Did she keep his name? Yeah, Anna Freud. Anna Freud? Mm-hmm. Did she ever get married and then keep the name? I don't know. Like, as a professional thing? Not sure. Like, if, like if I would, like, Roseanne Cash did that. Mm hmm. Uh, daughter of johnny cash became a country singer herself kept the name roseanne cash she's she's a married individual i believe she's married at least in a very long-term relationship Mm -hmm. keeps the name roseanne cash i wonder if that's the same thing with uh anna freud could be but then again like if freud got discredited would you even want to well it's still it's a recognizable name that's true like like it's kind of like how we vote like most of us don't know shit about what we're doing we just, like, we see a lot of signs with a name on it, and we're like, oh, I remember that name. Yeah. That's a strange, that's strange. That, that's how <laughs> democracy works. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. It's that guy keeps a good lawn. I'm going to vote for his guy. Pretty sad, but yeah. Yeah, I've been trying to do some uh, some research, and because we got the elections coming up, mm-hmm. November 6th, midterms, and they are, I got to say, the, the websites for politicians are severely lacking, usually. Yeah, because I wanted to investigate everybody's thing, and they see. don't really put their their uh, stances out there, or their policy suggestions. They're like, mm-hmm. "He's a patriot. He loves America. He's a patriot. Loves America. She's a patriot. She loves America." Stuff like that, and then like there's libertarian websites, which mm-hmm. is like a which is like a GeoCities page. <laughs> 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 like how do you, how did you even get get an account there? <laughs> And um, 
and, and and then a lot of them like like they'll have a website and it'll have a little domain and then like uh, like the .gov ballot site where they show all the things will have a link to it and you'll click it and it's 404 it's it's not even up yeah and I'm like you can, you can afford signs you can't afford a website where you can say maybe they're like I think they might be avoiding I might they might be wishy washing their way I to think that's the thing yeah yeah for having a stance like have, building a website is basically saying. This is who we are. This is what we do. This is about us, and it's an open portal of communication. Being Some like, of these fuckers won't even like do town hall meetings or like debates. Like it's like how are we supposed to know? Yeah, I mean that's part of your job, isn't it? That's you're a state representative. You represent the people. How can you represent the people if you don't talk to the people? I don't understand that. Well, that's how you get into office, though. That's how you get into office. It's a messed up system. It is. That's why Scottcast City is being built. Where, where we have a benevolent dictatorship in a way mm-hmm. that it's not that I it, like I've heard it qu- quoted somewhere where um, like oh it, it was it was like Jordan Peterson or something like that talking about talking about communism mm-hmm. and how people who promote communism say uh, they would do better than the Soviet Union if they were in charge mm-hmm. and stuff like that and he's like well if you're that kind of person that would say that then you're exactly the kind of person that should not be in charge yeah kind of thing and i just i just want to put it out there that's not quite what i'm saying i'm saying i want to be in charge but i don't want to do anything <laughs> i feel like that's a very subtle difference yeah i feel like the people who want to be in charge and control everything are dangerous is that why I'm your number two? Because I don't want to be in charge? Yeah. You're going to force me into it? That's right. It's a, it's a truly, it's, it's, it's a remarkable system that I don't think anybody's ever tried. Let's have an egomaniac who's lazy in charge of a, a selfless individual who works hard but doesn't really want that aggrandizement. Mm-hmm. Let's try that system out. We've tried democracy. Democracy's got a shelf life of about 200 some odd years, which we're approaching. Yeah. You know, historically. They say that democracies haven't lasted longer than 200 some odd years in human history, mm-hmm. which is a frightening fact, considering the age. 1776 kind of thing. Yeah. You know, that's the real horror story. We'll get back into the movies later. <laughs> <laughs> we're getting so political. We've been avoiding this for almost a year. Well, I realize no one really listens to Scott Cast. Ah. <laughs> so it doesn't even matter. That's kind of the thing. Is no one really listens to Scott Cast, but the people who do listen to Scott Cast really like me. Okay. Or like me as a person, or yeah. they're close to me, or or they're willing to at least have a conversation with me. And they're willing to appease your ego in order to live underground with you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're willing to do that kind of thing, and like, which which I'm fine for. I'm not trying to deride Scott Cast. Scott Cast still has an audience. The Scott Castigators are very real people, mm-hmm. but the Scott Castigators. I'm waiting for my my Hamtramck Avenger shirt. It's supposed to come by tomorrow. That's right. I, I'm I was so excited. I've been wait, waiting for that, man. I'm excited to see that. Like, too bad it didn't come. Like, you could have just put that on for the costume party tonight at Ghostlight. True. You'd been a Hamtramck I Avenger. I have a, a like a trash can with me. Yeah, I'd be a trash can. That'd be great. I'm Scott from Scottcast, the trash can. So the Scott Castigators are very real people, mm-hmm. and but but they're people who largely I feel like have a certain level of autonomy and intelligence mm-hmm. and discernment. That's why they're totally fine with 
having somebody like me be a dictator of everything because they're like that guy <laughs> you know whatever that guy i'm just gonna do what i do <laughs> yeah that guy could be in charge why not <laughs> you know they're not threatened by me yeah you know because 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 they're their own so like master charles you know he's a fantastic individual mm-hmm. he turns out he's a better broadcaster than us yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's not surprising <laughs> <laughs> I look, I was looking at his Twitch channel and like he was posting stuff on Twitter recently about it and like he's got like 600 followers. Yeah. You know, it's a very busy Twitch channel. Like he's got people who who hang on his every word. They pay him to they pay him Twitch, you know, right there. Mm. And and that's what he does. It's just that's just kind of his thing. That's how he unwinds. He 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 does graphic design during the day. And at night, he he comes on, he and he and he plugs in his computer, and, and he and he and he streams to these people. He says he he sent he sent an email talking a little bit more about the logistics of Twitch streaming, saying that we should give it a shot. He thinks we could be good on Twitch. Like, does it have a, to be game related? No, he said there's a podcast category. Okay, so we can go on the podcast category, like set up like a live webcam. That would be interesting to try anyway. Yeah, like see, a live pod. See if that's a thing. Like, I wonder how, what kind of because like I don't want to talk to Twitchers while we're potting, you know, like right now, like unless they're proven Scott Castigators. Maybe we could do a live email bag with Master Charles. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> now that is a great idea live email bag I'd have to find a way to get like a little like just like that text machine message I'd have to find a way to get a button that does the does the horn mm. I think I'll ask Master Charles he knows all that about all this kind of stuff Master Charles right into that, the email that bag thunderclap on your phone I, yeah I've done thunderclaps on the phone before for 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 games, oh that that'll probably be in. Oh, why don't why I don't know why I don't have that for a Halloween episode. I'm gonna insert because it's the Halloween episode and we're not really talking Halloween much. <laughs> like, I'm gonna have like Halloween themed sounds in the background. I'm gonna have like little. I'm gonna have rain and I'm gonna have I'm gonna have thunder and bats. Yeah. And and creaking doors and ghouls and stuff like that. That's that's what's gonna make it the Halloween episode. Plus we're talking about these movies. You know, and Sam Neill, the chain smoker, mm-hmm. uh, he he was fantastic, fantastic in in the Mouth of Madness. Mm-hmm. I loved that movie. It, he, it came out right after Jurassic Park, which makes you wonder why he took it. Yeah, well, it was John Carpenter. That's like okay. So he it was like John Carpenter, epic horror director. He did Halloween. He did The Thing. Um, this is one of his less appreciated films, but it's uh, yeah, it's it's a good one. It, it holds up. There's a lot of creepy how would, imagery. How would you rate it? I don't I don't know. The imagery was cheesy to me. You think so? In a lot of ways, like it it just it seemed very B movie. Whereas, whereas like when you when you compare it at least to mm-hmm. the to the films you mentioned by John Carpenter, yeah, uh, like Halloween, like these classic. It wasn't par on par with the thing for sure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> those special effects were like. The greatest ever. Um, yeah, I could see how it's. It was a, a smaller budget, so yeah, it wasn't. <laughs> they spent it all on cigarettes and Sam Hill. <laughs> <laughs> but I think like the there was that scene where he was in the car with that. Uh, what she was like the the rep from the publishing company or whatever. The yeah, book. yeah. And she like twisted upside down, and her face was all like. She was crab walking, but her face was the other way around. Right. Like, that That was pretty creepy. Uh, uh, I've seen it before. 
Yeah, you know, Exorcist. Um, it's like that whole like, oh, I'm walking backwards on my hands and knees like a like an animal kind of thing mm-hmm. with an inverted spine. It's it's been done all the time. It's not it's not a creative decision. Mm-hmm. Like the worst part about that was like let's give a Grammy or whatever to the Foley artist. The the sound of the because they did include the sound of the spine readjusting and all that. Mm-hmm. You could hear the part, which mm-hmm. was that was the most visceral aspect. Like seeing the person all creepy and backwards. Mm-hmm. To me, it wasn't that scary. I was recently talking to a guy, and he was saying like he and he and he included a reference. Maybe we should watch one of these films. But apparently, Japanese horror yeah is actually horrifying. Like to the point where where you you, you piss yourself and mm. you sleep with the lights on for a week as an adult. Did he give uh, specific examples? He did give a specific example, but it was Japanese. There's some that are like, yeah, they're very graphic, mm-hmm. but other ones are, mm, they're more slow moving, slow paced. They're slow paced. Mm-hmm. I don't like slow pace. Slow pace isn't horrifying. It depends. Man. It uh, I. I like a slow burn sometimes, but there has to be like that uh that suspense building up. It's a difficult thing to be slow. Yeah. When it's done well, it's it's excellent. Like actually the thing we just mentioned. Is that the slow burn? Um there's a lot of like big shots, like crazy creatures, dude they're doing like an autopsy on a dude on a table and then all of a sudden this open wound in his chest turns into teeth and it bites a guy's hands off and it's like crazy shit. Mm. So there's these big shots, but in between there's a lot of space and you don't realize it because there's so much tension building. You're always ready for that next big shot. Okay, so okay, so the big shots feel like they're about to happen the whole time. It's not like jump yeah. scare big shots. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I hate jump scares. Fuck that shit. Yeah. I, I'm not a fan of jump scares. It's cheap cheap it's it's easy like i could make a jump scare in this podcast right now by just by just like putting like a horror shriek in and don't worry i'm not going to make this a cheap shot at you master charles <laughs> like throwing the thing that's not my style i mean there's still gonna be creepy sounds in the background but it's not gonna be jump scare creepy. Yeah. that's the scott cast take fuck jump scares fuck jump scares you know like when i was in a when i was a kid uh you know how you know how people with siblings are like They'll, they'll they'll do the jump scare at you from yeah. around a corner. Mm-hmm. And my brother tried that with me once. I went out to the garage where we had a fridge to get a gallon of milk for the, for the kitchen. Mm-hmm. And on my way out, back into the kitchen, uh, I opened the door of the garage, jumped out to do the jump scare. And in my reaction, fight or flight, right? Most people are fight and they run away. Not me. My, I'm fight right away, and I swung the gallon of milk right at his face. Nice. Like without, like there, like there is no gap between the jump scare and the swing at the face. I was never jump scared again <laughs> by my brother. <laughs> <laughs> so let let that be a lesson to y'all. If if you got a jump scaring individual, uh, just ingrate it in your mind. Fight or flight, go with fight. It'll solve your problem. If you do flight, they'll just laugh and be like, <laughs> you're a wuss. But if, if you punch them right in the face, mm-hmm. as soon as they jump out at you, it, I mean, it's, it's, you're all of a sudden the winner. <laughs> 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 and you don't even have to do anything. And like, there's like, I don't think, do you think it legally, uh, someone jump scares you and you commence assault and battery? 
do you think that's do you think the, there's legal basis? I don't guess you're not a lawyer, but like, do you think it's a you think it's a prosecutable thing if you like you punch a guy out from doing that? Like, let's say like the guy's an idiot at a bar. I think it depends how severe it is. I think I think it would be considered assault on the person doing the jump scare because assault is I like think it's. You have a fair argument that that's a natural response if it was immediate and it was one punch. Yeah. If you, like, continue to pummel the person, <laughs> that's another story. <laughs> Might be a better story. <laughs> but it's another story. Okay. So that was... that. What else about... What else have we covered about Sam Neill right now? Um, didn't he nominate his duck for something? Oh, that's right. Uh, he he lives in New Zealand, and he lives on a farm, and he's got duck and sheep and stuff and vineyards. Uh, he makes wine. He's got the ideal life, basically. Like, if if you want to grow up and be somebody, grow up and be Samuel. That's that's the life to be. And he recently took a selfie with a duck of his, mm-hmm. and it's the happiest I've ever seen Samuel. <laughs> like, usually he's got this look of concern on his face. Mm-hmm. And um, but this one, he's just pure joy and happiness. It's just him with a duck, and he says, "I I hereby nominate my duck as leader of the free world. Who's with me?" And that's the that's the entire post. And m- my guy, that was the best. That was the best post I've seen on Twitter in my entire life. Yeah. Like if if there's an excuse for me to have a Twitter, it's eventually seeing that post. Well, I mean. Judging from the state of the free world today, I'm not opposed to that duck. I, I think that duck looks like a great leader. Yeah. Like, like if he wants to be in Scoutcast City, and you'll be third, I'll be second, he'll be first. Okay. Let's do it. I'll be fine with that. That's an even better system. That means we get Sam Neill, too. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Who's got the better society now? New Sam Zealand? Neill, come to Scoutcast City. That's your, right. Your duck will be in charge automatically. That's right. You know, what, you know what we need to do? Yeah. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to... Let's dedicate an entire podcast to Sam Neill's duck and what that would look like as a ruler of the free world. Mm-hmm. Like, let's describe the utopia. Let's go in detail. We'll take... We'll, we'll, we'll prepare beforehand. Mm-hmm. Get all this stuff out. And we'll try to get Sam Neill to listen. That's all we want. Sam Neill... Take take a listen to this is this is. What I feel like the, we need to contact him in advance to get some more information about this duck. You think we should? Is it a lady duck or a man duck? I have no idea. Yeah, we need to know. That's important to know on this duck because that could that could influence how it rules. Dear Sam Neil, <laughs> <laughs> we have a podcast. <laughs> it's got like approximately four subscribers, and we need to know about your duck. We're we're currently plotting to live underground forever and bring with us the last remnants of society. And we believe if there will be a free world, this is where it will be located. And so we are looking to find as much information about this duck as possible so that we may create a narration and create a podcast describing this narration of what it may be like to be ruled by a duck so that we can recruit more people for the prosperity of humanity itself and the free world. I think Samuel will be all about that. Let's 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 see. Well, he accepted the lead role in uh, in the Mouth of Madness. So, he did. Like, why not? Yeah, yeah. What's better, John Carpenter movies or Scott Cast? <laughs> Don't answer that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, we'll, we'll get that done. We'll we'll get our PR team on it. We've, yeah, we do have a PR team. The people who work for Scott Cast 
vastly outnumber the people who listen to Scott Cash. And that's what makes it such a great podcast. It's like being at a restaurant where there's one table mm-hmm. and an enormous staff. You've got a maitre d', you've got a waiter, you've got a bartender, you've got a chef and a sous chef, you've got busboys. Of the people, for the people. All the people for one people. Sounds like communism. Something like that. <laughs> as long as we control who all the people are. <laughs> and that's what the duck is for. So that's In the Mouth of Madness. That's our yeah. review. So moving from substance abuse to child abuse. Let's go to child abuse. <laughs> well, it's our second film. Yeah, yeah. We've, we've been talking on too many touchy subjects, so let's go to ta- child abuse. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what, what was the next one? It was a Ving Rhames film. Well, in a way. It was, it was a, for a, about ten minutes. A Wes Craven film. Wes Craven. The People Under the Stairs. These are some classic directors we chose. Yeah. No wonder I liked them. Uh, we got John Carpenter, the Wes Dixon Craven. The Dixon VHS collection does not fail you. It really doesn't. It was a fantastic VHS collection. And so we got Wes Craven doing a... That's also notable that we watched all these films on a 4K TV <laughs> in VHS quality. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's exactly what it sounds like. <laughs> the entire time, you're, you're half watching a movie and half thinking, what a waste of resources. <laughs> but it was great. I liked it. We need to, I still need to purchase Jurassic Park 4K. Yeah. I need to do that because I want, I, want I want the copy just for myself in general. And I'll probably just keep it at your place anyway because you're, uh, you're the only place I'd watch a 4K DVD at. And we'll watch Jurassic Park in 4K, glorious 4K. I've seen it in the theaters a few times mm-hmm. when it came out, and then during the 20th or 25th anniversary. And it was it was a, such a magical time during that anniversary because the release that they had mm-hmm. had like 45 seconds of additional footage. Really? Never before seen. Mm. And it was crazy. Because like, and the thing is, like the content of the extra footage wasn't good or like, particularly mind-blowing can tell why it was cut yeah it was just it was just superfluous yeah you know kind of thing but as somebody who's used to Jurassic Park and pretty much memorized the frames Mm -hmm. like to be watching it and then all of a sudden something continues like what oh this world is real dinosaurs are real I'm coming (laughs) for you (laughs) eat me (laughs) so that was amazing so we're talking Wes Craven, though. Yeah. I got distracted by Jurassic Park again. Oh, man. On on Jurassic Park. Uh, what was it, last weekend? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Bronwyn and I, Bronwyn took me to uh, the barn sanctuary where she's been volunteering. Oh, you finally went. Yeah. Cleaned up some shit for a couple hours. That's fun. But uh, we, we stopped by the turkey coop, and they are very dinosaur-esque. Yeah? In what way? Like their behavior? Like... They just look like you can tell, like you used to be a dinosaur, you motherfucker. Yeah, look at you now. Now you're sandwich meat. <laughs> so yeah, our I think our 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 army of turkey vulture dinosaur creations. It's not that far off. It's very close. Not that far off. They're, and as long as you make them a little bit more vicious. Mm-hmm. If they had teeth, like it, they'd be there. And th- they the way they move, their their like their talons are very. Oh yeah, you don't reptilian. Yeah, they're, you don't you don't want to get their talons on you. Yeah, they're they're, they're sharp and they're and they're useful. Mm-hmm. Apparently, if you have chickens or something like that, poultry in general, I suppose. What people don't usually realize about poultry and chickens is that they're not herbivores. 
Mm-hmm. They're omnivores. They're opportunistic. Yeah. And if, if say, you, like, threw a rat down or something like that in a pit of chickens, mm-hmm. like, the chickens would go at it and tear it apart. Like, just like the scene, the velociraptor scene where they lowered the cow. Yeah. It would be just like that. And it just it just goes to show how the, how these creatures through millions and millions of years retain that that sort of vicious there's a word but i've been drinking whiskey that that instinct in, that's exactly the word vicious instinct and it's just remarkable and and it's beautiful in a way like yeah. i don't know why i find it beautiful to 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 witness the viciousness of nature it is because you don't think about it, and it's like, mm-hmm. oh, that's that's what that is. It's somewhat majestic. It's somewhat visceral. It's it's somewhat puts puts you in your place. Mm-hmm. You know, it, as a human, we're very conditioned to be safe. We're very conditioned to be. Oh, we got our. Oh, what's the big danger? Oh, the election coming up. That's the danger. Politics. You know, look at these jerks. We're not very good at looking at things in scale. Yeah. Yeah, like like a geologist, mm-hmm. where their their smallest time scale is like eleven thousand years. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like no one ever thinks that way. They they just think of uh, what's happening today, what's happening tomorrow, what happened yesterday, what happened it, in the last ten minutes, what happened in the last ten minutes. Well, what, what, when did my like like my phone went off like twenty minutes ago, mm-hmm. and it's been burning at the back of my mind. Was that a text message? Who's that from? What's going on? Is that my thing? Looking for Jeep Wranglers? Telling me there's new Jeep Wranglers for sale around my area? Global warming? Fuck you, I haven't seen the sun in two days. Right? Seriously. <laughs> How can I have seasonal effective depression if if there's if if if, if global warming is a thing? Liberals. <laughs> because the earth has an axis. That's why. The earth has an axis. You know what else has an axis? Mm. Nazis. <laughs> Damn it. Take that, environmentalists. Stick that in your crack pipe and smoke it. Boy, we're hitting all the tropes today. We're hitting all the tropes. We're doing pretty good. We got Nazis. We got dinosaurs. Mm -hmm. We got Jurassic Park. We got Sam Neill. Sam Neill was a given. We got politics, even. So anyway, child abuse. Child abuse. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Let's. I don't want to get into something too hairy. Let's talk about child abuse. So this movie, it's like the the central tenet, the social kind of... The, the social issue that they address mm-hmm. is the disparity of income between lo- the landowners and land renters yeah. and how land landowners can can kind of control that. They don't really go into detail about it. Yeah. They just say, oh, it's a thing, and mm-hmm. they use that as a thing. Like, the actual conflict has nothing to do with land ownership. <laughs> it has to well, do- it kind of does. In what way? The reason that they go into the house is that they're behind on rent, and also mom is critically ill. Okay. And she cannot provide. Well, that's just that's the just the reason that gets the kid in the house. Yeah. Because they, cause they, they hear that's, that there's a pot of gold somehow. That's the driving force behind the film, though. Eh, is it? I think the driving force behind the film, I think all that That's does, the motivation for the main character. Like, there's two, there's two problems a story addresses. There's, like, a surface-level problem, and then there's mm-hmm. the story-worthy problem. And they sort of present this disparity of income as a surface-level problem that instigates the conflict. But the, but the story-worthy problem is the kid goes into the house and finds out there's a bunch of 
subterranean mutant kids in the basement <laughs> eating human remains and mm-hmm. and and a and a child locked away uh never to see the outside doesn't even know what a neighborhood is mm-hmm. because she's stuck in the room with a with with an embroidered sign that says children should be seen not heard embroidered very nicely embroidered by the yeah. way fantastic embroidery she was probably forced to do it yeah <laughs> get that in your head kind of thing and it was a weird i i could definitely i def, like as some like you watch that early in your life mm-hmm. i could definitely see why you have the opinions on the wealth wealthy people <laughs> versus uh versus normal people yeah after seeing that and like that becoming the amalgam the like the 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 stereotype for you i could definitely see why you're all for the people, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and like you're, you're you're against the landowner class. Mm-hmm. Uh, these people were terrible. It was a couple. It was it was it was a couple. Well, in a way, we discover that it was a a brother and sister. Brother and sister. The brother often wears a gimp suit. <laughs> yep. And the sister's a very controlling uh, woman. Mm-hmm. Even control, obviously puts the brother in a gimp suit and leads him around. And I don't know why, though, like, whenever the... Because, okay, so they're very violent, they're very controlling people, and and they punish their child, their kid, and for some reason they keep a, a, a group of them in the cellar, mm-hmm. like, that didn't pass snuff mm-hmm. for some reason, instead of killing them, which obviously they're okay with. Right. And so that's, that's interesting. Well, I mean, that's... Isn't that more terrifying, though? Like... It's more terrifying, sure. Yeah. But it's less practical. Sure. You know? And, like, there's a kid that somehow runs in between the walls. uh, Do you think wealthy folk worry about practicality? Yes. Convince me. Well, they got got wealthy for a reason, typically. These ones Mm. didn't. These ones inherited. (laughs) (laughs) These ones inherited all their wealth, but usually... Well, they were, uh... Yeah. I guess the story tells us that they inherited it, but it it was through... A mix of inheritance and coercion. Yeah. And, uh, they were slumlords. They were slumlords, is what it was. Yeah, they were slumlords who had a very bad investment strategy. Like, usually rich people, they, they have a pile of money, and they don't just keep it in a bunker <laughs> with their bombs. <laughs> usually, you know. it's just, Like, even the kid called that out in the plot. Mm-hmm. Like, the kid was just like, I don't know why you keep bombs here, but I'm going to blow them up. <laughs> <laughs> Seems like a bad place for them. Yeah. Well, I'd keep them in a different room, like a pantry. I'd keep them away from all the horribly abused kids. i keep them away from the abused kids. It was, like, in their pen. Yeah, like, there wasn't even a vault or anything. It, yeah. was, it was just... Well, I mean, it was... It was... Was there a key? It was booby-trapped with explosives also but why this kid was savvy enough to know to like bridge it so that he could get through the door okay you might have missed that part i might have missed that part i might have been just thinking to myself yeah what is this movie <laughs> what can i how what, how can i fit this in the skycast but yeah so they have it's it's just bad usually rich people and this is how they get rich mm-hmm. is they get money they get born by rich parents that's not a usual thing well maybe it is usual i I don't know the numbers on that that's pretty usual (laughs) yeah yeah like when you're talking yeah a certain class for sure there's fewer uh upward mobility stories than there are like yeah uh generational 
wealth stories. Yeah. But the way the generational wealth works mm-hmm. is like through trust funds and stuff like that. And yeah. the basic idea is they're so wealthy that they can put all their money that they own in some sort of investment that pays dividends and then they just live off the dividends Mm -hmm. and because they live off the dividends and like that can be anywhere between a modest income for the rest of your life to an exorbitant income Mm -hmm. and that's probably what we see with with the with the old hats to people yeah is like they have such such large investments in so many different places and their the dividends they receive are just enormous Mm mm-hmm and they can just live off like they they get a hundred thousand dollars without working. Yeah, just by just just through their their investments accruing interests and stuff like that. That seems swell, but like imagine what would happen if all that principle was put well, out in the into the world. <laughs> like, well, it is. That's 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 the idea. That's, that would be so much better for everybody, but wouldn't it? It is in the world. That's the point of an investment. Well, it's not but, though. It's, it's yes, it is. <laughs> That's how do you think? How do you think? Where do you think it goes when it's invested? Like in a in a safe with bombs? Because this is where I think you you're getting I mean, your this, archetype again. This it depends on the investment. Like if you're if if we're talking stocks and you're in companies, then yeah, that's different. That's that's more fluid. I'm thinking like like how does that impact individuals in the in our economy? Well, why? What do you mean? Like the stock market is a completely different thing than like the the working. I don't know what the terms are. The working market. The stock market could be doing great, and like where I'm at is still shit. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's like it's almost a fantasy world. It's like a it's two different things. It's it's not reflective of the actual economy. You know what I mean? Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> so you've got companies with huge investments and. That, that allows them the opportunity to expand if they want to, which can lead to job growth and all that stuff. But that doesn't necessarily happen because you got companies like, like what is Amazon doing? Amazon recently raised its minimum wage to 15 bucks an hour. Yeah. So they've been answering those, uh, those questions. Okay. So that was a bad example. <laughs> that was a bad example. <laughs> so what about McDonald's? Uh, McDonald's, what do you mean? What are they doing with their capital? I have no idea what they're doing specifically, <laughs> but uh, like, what what typically happens when people get capital is they like put it into whatever different departments, advertising, R and D. McDonald's is somewhat of a bad example because McDonald's runs on franchising. Yeah, franchising is just uh, you want to start a business as a person, right? Mm. And you don't want to come up with a whole spiel. So you so you get the rights from McDonald's, mm-hmm. and McDonald's is like, okay, here here's your rule book, here's your here's the signs. This is where you can buy stuff. This is the supply chain. It sounds good. Here's not a yada yada, and 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 the and that capital goes into that way, and and that's that's the general way it goes. Is that when a company has an excessive amount of capital, they also reinvest it into other things. It usually doesn't go to some slush fund. Or like some like pile somewhere. Mm-hmm. Usually, usually people who are of a certain stature will make sure that their money works for them. The kind of concept goes mm-hmm. by reinvesting in other places. I mean, a lot of the times, I think the big problem can be is they'll invest things in things that don't work. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of the that's the risk. 
So because if you, that's the only way it really becomes trash is if you invest in something that doesn't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. So like you've got a hundred thousand dollars, mm-hmm. right, to invest because you're rich and you can just put it any, put it anywhere you want. And then this guy comes up to you and he's like, "Hey, I've got these shoes that can make you fly." Mm-hmm. And you're like, "Wow, haha, that looks good. I'm rich and I don't care. I'm just gonna invest in that. See what happens. Oh, nothing. Oh well, kind of thing." Yeah. Because rich people, like, the most fascinating psychological thing I feel like about rich people is they don't understand the value of money. Yeah. And the way, yeah, that, that, is, that is where it goes. And that's, that's kind of where I feel like they could be, there could be better investments was, made. Uh, well, who was it recently? Some, I think it was Ted Cruz's wife complained about his income as a, as a congressman. He makes six figures. Right. Like, oh, we're not going to be able to buy that second house anytime soon. Ha <laughs> ha <laughs> Yeah, that's ridiculous. Like, <laughs> I don't usually use the phrase "check your privilege" much, <laughs> but yeah, if you're if, if you're complaining about getting a, about being on the national stage, it's like what's what's our standard? That's that's kind of where we're at. Like, right. there's this disparity in. Yeah, you're right. People don't understand the value of money. Like. Like the most interesting thing is like when, let's say somebody who's rich, always been rich, mm-hmm. uh, goes out and, um, and and like let's say they're hanging out with like friends who are of like a middle class normal kind of situation. Yeah, right. They're all friends and they're all hanging out and they're all suggesting restaurants to go to. Mm-hmm. The person who's been obscenely rich his whole life mm-hmm. will treat going to McDonald's the same way they'll treat going to a five star restaurant. Like they don't see. Because they don't understand a monetary difference. Mm-hmm. Like, McDonald's might be the most delicious freaking place to them, and, like, that's their, oh, I'm going out and I'm having a great time thing, mm-hmm. is that they're going to McDonald's because $5 is just the same as 500 mm-hmm. to them. And and that kind of translates to not understanding, uh, I feel like, in, in a broader, more social, implicative way, it, it translates to people of like higher wealth status not understanding the plight and the situations of lower wealth individuals yeah of of the lower kind of stratosphere is really i mean if you look at it historically pretty much everybody in america is wealthy unquote unquote in the sense that they're far better off than they were centuries ago even at the lowest lowest levels okay mm. i'm talking like black plague and shit yeah, I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, we don't we don't have to worry about the plague anymore. Yeah, like that's that's. I feel like it's an important note, you know. Like we were talking well, about the geologists, I mean, right? With this eleven thousand year time span. But again, that's that's like different degrees of things. Because I I still every day I see mm. poverty and the effects that that has. Right, and that's it's drastic. Yeah, a hundred percent. Like so, the thing with the people who don't. I feel like I feel like the reinvestment and stuff. I feel like the the forcible movement of it and putting it in someone else's hands to do that movement. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's dangerous. It's not dangerous in the sense that these people don't deserve it and don't deserve the help. It's dangerous in the fact that the people who would end up uh, with the power to move the money are not going to do it correctly. And it's historically been somewhat proven that that's going to be the case. So I feel like the 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 way we should probably approach it better. This is the Scott, my Scott cast take. 
Okay. Not the Scott Cast take. Yeah. Because we've got multiple voices here. Yeah. But my personal take is that I, I feel like I don't know what's, what could be done, but I feel like if people understood better what other people are going through, if people un- like on all levels, mm-hmm. like if like if if like if people on our level understood the way a wealthy person sees the world, and if wealthy people see the way impoverished people see the world. And if if there was a better understanding and a better communication, and 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 less of a less of a power struggle about it, and more of a reaching for understanding, I feel like social programs would get off the ground so much faster, so much better, with like with people working together. And like right now, it's like it seems like the main mode of communication is let's let's start some class warfare about it. Let's yeah. let let's blame people. Let's say it's their fault. And, and when you do that, like they're going to be protective. I mm-hmm. mean, just to human nature. Oh, you're oh you're saying I'm causing this stuff. Well, I'm not causing this stuff. I'm I'm happy going to McDonald's, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. But if we put it in more of a more of terms of education, more in terms of communication, more in terms of like less hyperbolic, uh, you know, less hyperbolic meanderings on and and. Uh, Fear mongering in mm-hmm. the media, kind of thing, and more. Let's all just read books and just understand each other, and give people an open platform to communicate in a non-argumentative way. Like let's just let's just let's let's teach people how to communicate their situation clearly and and, and with and with uh, understanding and compassion. Yeah, and people to listen to that, and people to be nice to each other, and just be kind to each other, and then I feel like that will. I feel like that will instigate more social movements better than the, it, it seems like, incessant fear-mongering and division that seems mm-hmm. to go on. I feel like that's not going to help. Agreed. I think we should, yeah, we should strive to understand each other and uh, understand one another's experiences. I feel like you've got an important role in this. Do I? Yeah. I mean, so. you, you're, you're somewhat of a bridge. You, you have... You have an understanding mind, a compassionate mind, mm-hmm. but you're also eyes on the ground because you're seeing it. Mm-hmm. You're you're seeing people on a daily basis dealing with impoverished situations, dealing mm-hmm. with situations where where things aren't fair, where things where it's discriminatory, and yeah. like you can communicate this kind of thing. And I don't know that I understand the uh, the the wealthier. Well, I do. Population. I'm all about rich people. <laughs> <laughs> I think that they uh, they live in fucked up houses and wear gym suits and. <laughs> I mean, some children. of them do. <laughs> <laughs> but first off, of all of those things, fucked up houses. It's fine to live in a fucked up house. True. Gimp suits. If you want to wear a gimp suit, go ahead. Not, I'm not against the gimp suits. Those were my least. Uh, <laughs> You're least, okay with least worrisome uh, accusations. If you want to abuse children in a cellar, go ahead. That's, oh wait, no, not that one. That's the one that crosses the line. <laughs> that crosses some sort of line to you. <laughs> I don't understand you, Ian Dixon. Damn. <laughs> so you said you had some questions about like my my world worldview or like this this brought up thoughts about stuff. I think you? I said them all. You said them all, okay. And I think I pontificated, yeah, and then I kind of covered a lot of ground. I'm going to listen back to that and be like, man, I'm an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> that was not, well, no, that was 
I would say there was there was other options for I I presented a number of films that were available for watching. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that was the most adroit like social critique. Yeah. There was other... Yeah. No, there was definitely... Yeah. If you, if that's what you're relying on for social critique, it is not... <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it, it would be very obvious how you'd fall. And it wouldn't be... Well, I think I had, I had other films that were more extreme, actually. More extreme. Mm-hmm. I'd like to see those. Yeah. I'd like to see those for sure. Like, what, are the, what, what extreme elements do you think you'd give away? Um, society was one I recommended. Okay. How's that go? That's a... Uh, it's a different perspective, but it's the same idea, mm-hmm. like rich, that that uh, wealth discrepancy, but it's more from the perspective of like a middle class white guy, which is like pretty privileged position to start with, Okay, versus like the, the elite, quote unquote. And that um, was uh, directed by Brian Usna, who did, he was like a co-producer of Reanimator, and he directed... I think Bride of Reanimator. That sounds like a good one. I like a good Bride of movie. Yeah. What happened to Bride of movies? Ended with Bride of Chucky. Yeah. That After, wasn't too long ago. There, it wasn't too long more. ago, but it was like 20 years ago. Bride of Chucky was 2000s. Okay. Bride, it was, Bride of Reanimator was like 90s. Okay, it was 15 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> we get them every like uh, 10, 15 years. Let's get a Bride of Spider-Man or something. Fuck Bride yeah. of Iron Man. Fuck yeah. You know, let's see that. Well, I guess Bride. Of, I guess those are established universes. It would just be Gwen Stacy the movie. <laughs> I don't think that would work. <laughs> um, or Mary Jane the movie. That would work, especially in Canada now. Yeah, you know, there's some like current horror movies that I'm actually kind of excited about. Oh, tell me. Um, I was I did, very done... skeptical uh-huh. initially when I heard that they were remaking Suspiria. You're, you're talking... <laughs> you got to explain everything about this. Suspiria is a Dario Argento film. He's an Italian horror filmmaker. You're all about the Italian horror. Italian horror is the best horror. The best. Um, very stylized. Not real good with plot. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but Suspiria is a classic. It's beautiful to look at. We've got a 4K copy if you want to come come watch it. Let's watch it. Like, when was it made? Late 60s, early 70s. What What does 4K bring to the table when it's movie made? The colors 70s? are so fucking bright. Oh, okay. It was already so bright, and it's, like, so bright Okay. <laughs> in 4K. <laughs> um, but it's pretty brutal for, for the time. There's, like, a... A scene where someone gets stabbed like directly in the heart, and it's like open chest in the heart. And there's girl jumps into a room full of uh, razor wire for some reason <laughs> for the brightness. <laughs> That's what it's for. <laughs> but all in all, it's a witch movie. Um, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll leave it at that. That was the original. Um, again, plot is pretty thin. It's loosely connected, but it's it's a good watch. Um, it's beautiful to look at. They're remaking it. I was like, "Don't, don't fuck up a classic." Um, but the the previews look good. Tommy York did the soundtrack, the Radiohead fame. Oh, okay. Oh, Tommy York. Mm-hmm. I never heard anybody call him Tommy. I just said Tom. Oh, York, I heard Tommy, but I I slurred it together because I'm the Midwestern accent, I guess. Oh, okay. I just mush everything together. All right. Okay, that's cool. So this is the new one. It is a new one. It looks really dark. 
it looks like it's it kind of connects so that was like a, a part of a loosely connected trilogy that mm-hmm. Argento did it was the three mothers Tenebre and Suspiria and I forget what the other one is but it seems like they kind of connect some of those plot points and they, they try and condense it into a film and it looks more cohesive and a lot more dark it's not as bright but it's I, I think that's good that they're not trying to remake it like shot for shot and they're doing their own thing mm-hmm. and I guess it has Argento's blessing Okay, well, that's that's always a good sign. So when is this coming out? This is coming out in select theaters, like, next week. Oh, shit, let's do this. Let's let's watch the 4K, then let's go watch the Tom York. (laughs) Hold on, I just looked this up. It's it's playing, like, Halloween night, which is problematic, in Troy. Okay. And then uh, the Michigan Theater in Ann Arbor is playing it through the weekend. But I don't want to go to Ann Arbor. No one wants to go to Ann Arbor. Yeah. That's one thing we can agree on wholeheartedly. <laughs> <laughs> That's the Scott Cast take. Fuck Ann Arbor. Fuck Ann Arbor. <laughs> what a terrible city. Full of terrible people. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. <clears throat> I don't know if maybe the Troy Theater, they're doing more shows, but they just haven't posted it yet. But if they're going through the weekend, I'll go. Okay, we got to figure that out. I, I, they they can't just be playing it one night. That's that's an absurd yeah amount of time, Maybe especially they're... Halloween night where everyone's got plans. Mm-hmm. Like that doesn't make any business sense. Like playing a Agreed. few nights. Yeah, you know, like what else are you playing? Like freaking Ice Age Five. <laughs> Play the Time York movie. That'd be good. So we gotta watch. We gotta watch that 4K version, and we mm. gotta watch that. So is that our review? <laughs> is that our review of the Wes Craven movie that we didn't really talk about? <laughs> Rich people are bad. Yeah, well, at least in this movie, for sure. And um, yeah, I don't know what else you want to say about that. It seemed like you had a lot of thoughts about it. Uh, That's like I grew up on that shit, so I'm like all you thought it out. Uh, yeah. I don't have much to say. I would say Ving Rhames has a disappointingly small role in it. Yeah. You know, but you do get to see him viscerally dead. He had a really good line. Oh, it was like we, we commented stupid. on, but I can't remember what it was now. Oh, yeah, that's right. Like, oh, geez. Uh, uh, you might have to rewatch it, text it to me. I'm going to have to edit it in. Because <laughs> it was, it was like, worth it. Too young to get tit and too Oh, that's right. <laughs> no. Too old to get tit and too young to get ass. That's it. That's it. <laughs> yeah, too old to get tit, too young to get ass. It's 13 for you. <laughs> I feel like he had a lot of good lines, but I just, that's... Like, that's that's his entire character was lines. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I would love to meet Ving Rhames and, like, that's just who he is. <laughs> <laughs> You look too young to get tit, too old to get ass. They didn't give him any lines. They were just like, just do you. Just do you, yeah. <laughs> he didn't even know why. They, he didn't even know he was on set. What's this movie about? <laughs> they just gave him a crowbar. He just started going out the door. <laughs> Talk about how great crowbars are. <laughs> that was a great movie. So, well, that was a good one. But then the next one, we had one of my favorite actors mm-hmm. based on a non-acting resume. Like, the best actor, if you're using non-acting as as your gauge. Mm-hmm. Christopher Lee, he was a World War II spy. He like, was? Yeah. 
For real? For the British. Yeah. Holy fuck. That's how he know that's how he knows all this stuff. Like he I didn't know he was that old. He was mm-hmm. like a star in the seventies. I thought he was in his thirties then. No, he was a World War II spy. And he was old. So he was already fifty when he was doing Dracula. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. He and he yeah. Like oh jeez. This is worth getting some facts going. I'm gonna get another beer. Okay. <laughs> Oh my god, I'm glad we did this. Yeah. I'm glad we pulled this article up. I got 22 facts here about Christopher Lee. And you normally when you get it, pull up these articles where it's like 22 facts about blah blah blah, it's like lame facts. Mm. It's like, oh, he bought a sandwich for the crew. <laughs> it's, it ain't, ain't the case with Christopher Lee. Actually, there was another article below it called 46 facts, but I was like, okay, we got it. <laughs> Like even Scott has We're on a time limit here. Some sort of time limit. Okay, so here's fact number one. He was entered into the world records book in 2007 for most screen credits. Okay, this is a very okay. basic fact. Very basic fact. 244 film and TV movies by that point. Mm-hmm. But then he made 15 more. Yeah. After that, after he already got a record, and he also happens to be the record holder for tallest leading man at six foot five. Nice. But also holds the record for most films with a sword fight. Nice. 17. Now, that is a great one. That's a good one. That is, yeah. Like, I, if I had to be proud of a record of that lineup, it would be, yeah, I got, I'm, the mo- I'm the actor with the most sword fights. <laughs> okay, so that that's a light one. Fucking legend already. Yeah. yeah. What else you got? By, by itself. His mother was an Italian contessa, and through her... Lee was descended from Emperor Charlemagne of the Holy Roman Emperor Empire. Holy shit. And, <laughs> not done yet, <laughs> was related to Robert E. Lee, the Confederate general. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Lee of the Robert Lees. Interesting. An exceptional lineage. As, you know, say what you will about the Confederacy. Well, I hear Robert E. Lee was a drunk. He was, well, yeah. Well, so was Grant. They were all drunks. So It's the I Civil mean, War. Just, <laughs> I mean, connection to the film that right. we watched. Oh, that's right. Rasputin was a drunk. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> Speaking of the film, we watched Rasputin the Mad Monk, mm-hmm. where he played Rasputin. And he met Prince uh, Yusupov and Grand Duke Dmitry Pavlovich, the assassins of the Russian monk Rasputin. He met them. But he didn't do it as research. He just met them as a child. Really? In the 1920s. Oh. Yeah. He just, he was just like, hey. Just by chance. I'm Christopher Lee. <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> oh, we just assassinated Rasputin. Oh, I'll play him someday. That <laughs> <Yeah>, sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> Let me write, write some notes in crayon. Uh, at age 17, he witnessed the death of the murderer Eugene Weedman. Do you know Eugene Weedman mm. in Paris? Oh. This is why it's a... It's the last person to be publicly executed in France by guillotine. Oh. That's why. Christopher Lee's seen some shit. Number three, folks. <laughs> <laughs> number... Uh, oh, wait, that was five, four. But anyway, number five. During World War II, Lee joined the Royal Air Force, but wasn't allowed to fly because of a problem with his optic nerve, so he became an intelligence officer for the... British Special Forces. He fought the Nazis in North Africa, often having up to five missions a day. He helped retake Sicily, prevented a mutiny among his troops, contracted malaria six times in one year, and then climbed Mount Vesuvius three days before it erupted. 
Jesus Christ. This is all one man. This is Saruman. Saruman. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ, man. We're at five. <laughs> it's 22. At some point during the war, he moved from the LRDP to Winston Churchill's even more elite special operations executive, whose missions are literally still, to this day, classified, but involved conducting espionage, spying, sabotage, and reconnaissance in occupied Europe against the Axis powers. He was a very key role in defeating Nazis, is what that means. This is the most badass shit I've ever heard. Exactly. Did you know he made a metal album? He, oh yes, I did. <laughs> I, I did know. Like when he was ninety. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this, this podcast will now be known as the Christopher Lee Fancast. <laughs> and we're not even done with that fact. Uh, informally, this little unit was called, and it's not been made into a movie yet. And I guess because Christopher Lee died, but it was called the Ministry of Ungentlemanly Warfare. So you can only imagine what took place in that. Everything else was gentlemanly up to this point. (laughs) (laughs) But this was ungentlemanly. Lee never said anything specific about his time, but he did say this. I've seen many men die right in front of me. So many, in fact, that I've become almost hardened to it, having seen the worst that human beings can do to each other, the results of torture, mutilation, and seeing someone blown to pieces by a bomb, you develop a kind of shell. But you had to. You had to, otherwise we would never have won. That's Christopher Lee. Damn. That's how hard he was. Then he acted in such things. (laughs) (laughs) As Brides of Dracula, Blood of Dracula... Yeah. Rasputin, the yeah. mad monk. That's right. He's received commendations for bravery from four governments, the British, Polish, Czechs, and Yugoslavians. Damn. Number eight. Speaking both French and Italian, Lee spent his time after World War II hunting Nazis with the Central Registry. So, World War II's over by this point. <laughs> <laughs> he's still like, fuck Nazis. Yeah, he's still on it. You see, like, he, he, saw, he saw the films, and now he's hunting them down. Uh, and he gave he gave up to try acting at age twenty five. What did you do before you were twenty five? Because this is all till he was twenty five. <laughs> oh fuck! <laughs> <laughs> this is literally all. Well, like I remember, I was like, I think I, I think I masturbated a lot. <laughs> I think that's what that was. I think that's what I did. That was my main accomplishment. Yeah, I. I cried a little bit. I didn't do anything noteworthy before 25. No, nothing like this, right? No. Okay. Okay, Okay. so while filming a sword fight with a drunk Errol Flynn during the Dark Avengers in 55, we're getting to acting, so this is less mm-hmm. hardcore stuff. <laughs> Flynn accidentally cut Lee's hand so badly his finger nearly came off and permanently injured. Later, Lee cut off Flynn's wig while Flynn was still wearing it. Flynn stormed off set and refused to come out of his trailer until Lee claimed it was an accident. Claimed. <laughs> he literally cut a scalp off somebody with a sword. Well, I mean, as he, retaliation, he almost had his finger cut off. What are you going to do? Yeah, it's just a wig. Yeah, you know. But I think I think the thing is to point out is that Errol Flynn was in the situation, mm-hmm. and he knew that Christopher Lee didn't cut off his wig by accident. He knew that that was a skillful swordplay. Well, Christopher Lee hunted Errol Nazis, Flynn. so you should be happy that you got a skull. Right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, he's best known for his portrayal as Dracula. He's also stored as the mummy in Frankenstein's monster. He's known as Saruman and Count Dooku. 
But his other villainous roles include Fu Manchu, Rasputin, which we know, uh, Rochefort of the... Th- I don't know if that's how you say it. Um, Lord, Lord Summerisle of the Wicker Man, uh, Scaramanga from James Bond, uh, Mephistopheles, and literally Death. So that's just acting. Lee was not only related to James Bond creator and author Ian Fleming, which, by the way, Ian Fleming is James Bond. Yeah. Ian Fleming literally wrote James Bond as a character and everything we know as James Bond as a character from his life. Okay. That's just, it was just, he wasn't a creative person. He just, he just wrote about being James Bond, called himself James Bond. Mm -hmm. And he called himself James Bond because he was like, hmm, what's the most boring name I could come up with? James Bond. And through literally the actions that he took, it became the name James Bond. I know James Bond's kind of fallen out of favor these days, well, with womanizing, but still. Yeah. Everybody likes James Bond, whether you admit it or not. Daniel Craig. Anyways, Lee was not only related... Oh, I already did that one. He has played Sherlock Holmes, Mycroft Holmes, and also Sir Henry Baskerville, the Hound of the Baskervilles. So, okay, so we're getting into his acting. Mm-hmm. This is really boring compared to his 425 life, apparently. Uh, Lee tried to quit Hammer Films, but studio executives guilted him into returning by stressing how many people could be out of work. So he's a nice guy. Lee agreed to star in Dracula, Prince of Darkness. He felt the script was so awful, he adamantly refused to say any of the dialogue. Hammer decided that it was far more important to have a mute Lee as star as opposed to anyone else, and thus had Dracula hiss and yell through the film. (laughs) That's how great he was as an actor. That's so good. I'm, I'm such a good actor that you need me, even if I don't say any of your stupid lines. That's amazing. That's so good. Like, can you think of any actor these days with that kind of clout? No. That they, that they, they could literally be like, yeah, you can pay me millions for this. I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to be there and be the leading man and not say anything. So... I don't want to say anything stupid, but... (laughs) (laughs) Go on. (laughs) Trust me, I've covered stupid already. We've caught wind of uh, options for uh, buying the rights to some Stephen King material for, like, very cheap. Oh, that's not stupid. That's definitely worth something we're going to do. We're going to be able to get... What if, though... Licensed material. What if we did one of those stories where our main character only screamed and shrieked? Master Charles, right in. See if you'll listen to that. <laughs> and if he's in, I'm in. <laughs> That's what I say about that. You know. So we're going to license some Stephen King material. We're going to make like a teleplay or maybe even a film. It'll be a Christopher Lee. Uh, Christopher Lee as Dracula, as, like a, as a, an unwilling Dracula. <laughs> <laughs> in a Stephen King novel or story. Premise, basically. What's the word I want? A Christopher Lee... Uh, tribute? Tribute. There you go. Yeah, a little tribute to the yeah. amazingness of Christopher Lee, where we just need an actor who can communicate complex ideas through... <laughs> Think that should be Snakey D? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> he already does that. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, David. <laughs> All right. In the 50s, Lee was engaged to Henriette von Rosen, daughter of Count Fritz van Rosen. The Count apparently didn't like Lee somehow. I don't know how the fuck you don't like Lee at this point. Jesus Christ. Uh, oh, here's why. Because after hiring private detectives to investigate the actor and demanding references, he also refused to allow his daughter to marry him unless Lee got the blessing of the King of Sweden. Damn. So, like, you can't marry my daughter unless the King of Sweden gives his blessing. 
guess what? Lee got the permission. You got it. Yeah, he did. Fuck <laughs> yeah, he did. You goddamn right, he did. Of course, he did. <laughs> Hell, I give him permission. Jesus. So Lee, as we all know, was a major Tolkien fan, reading Hobbit and Lord of the Rings once a year for the majority of his life. He was the only member of the movie cast to have met Tolkien personally. So that's cool. Uh, and uh, you just ran into him randomly in a pub. I don't know what kind he of just magic. Bumps into <laughs> fucking like bumping into Rasputin's assassins, bumping into uncountable historically Nazis. critical people. Yeah, <laughs> here's Tolkien. Hey, what up? You want a drink? Let's have a drink. Uh, he fanboyed at him, mm-hmm. so he was already a fan. And Tolkien actually gave him his blessing to play Gandalf in any future Lord of the Rings movies. I'm not sure why he didn't end up playing Gandalf. I know yeah. Ian McCallum's a great Gandalf. Uh, and he's, he's a great Saruman. He's a good villain. I don't, I guess. That might be it. Like, but I don't know. I, I wonder if that was his choice or if that was uh, Peter Jackson's choice. Like, we'll get through this list. <laughs> Maybe it's in here. Uh, oh, here we go. When Lee heard that Hollywood was going to finally make the trilogy, he took a role in the terrible uh, 97 TV series of Robin Hood as a wizard, specifically so he'd have clear evidence of his ability to be a wizard. <laughs> When he heard Peter Jackson would direct the films, he sent Jackson a personal letter asking to be in the movies along with a picture of him dressed as a wizard. <laughs> uh, oh, okay. But his, his, his advanced age is what made his choice. Wait, it oh. him, Saruman. They did it too late. So, like, they, I guess they, Gandalf was too uh, strenuous of a role for his age at the time, which I don't know. I mean, he seems to have been able to handle frickin' everything else. Yeah. I have to call that into question. It's a little late now, but I have to call those decisions into question, Hollywood. Uh, even though I love Ian McKellen as Gandalf, by the way. Yeah. Nothing against Ian McKellen as Gandalf, but, if, I mean, this is the most compelling resume for anything in the world ever. I think um, we talked about having a mythology for Scott Cass City. Uh-huh. So, Christopher Lee is our god. He's our genie. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anybody would object. <laughs> <laughs> Give me one good reason why not. Okay. So here's here's something I told you about a little bit earlier um, before we were casting. The story has gone around a lot, but it bears repeating because it's incredible. During his death scene in Return of the King, only included in the extended edition to Lee's disapproval, director Peter Jackson was describing to him what sound people getting stabbed in their back should make, and Lee responded that he had seen people being stabbed in the back and knew exactly what the sound was. <laughs> of course, he got his way. <laughs> <laughs> and if you want to hear that, <laughs> just grab the extended edition of Return of the King, and you will know what it sounds like to get stabbed in the back. God damn, that's badass. Okay, apparently Lee was quite interested in the history of public executions. Mm. Well, I mean, he witnessed the last guillotine execution. <laughs> uh he reportedly knew the names of every official public executioner employed by England dating all the way back to the mid-15th century. Damn. 1450s is what that is. So he, he could name everybody who was an ex- executioner in England. Hmm. I mean, that's got to be thousands of people. Yeah. I don't, I don't really believe that one. I believe all the other ones somehow. But that one is like, that's just too much memory. Like, I don't know. He's uh, do they keep, really keep that kind of records on executioners? I felt like it's just like okay, who's a burly man who wants to wear a hood, right? Here's an axe. I can't speak to that. I don't know what, what kind of records they keep. Because you're not as cool as Christopher. I'm Lee. not. I'm not doubting Christopher Lee in anything, right now. Right. 
Well, here's something that you already know. He's already he's been a big metal fan, mm-hmm. and he released his full uh, he released his first full heavy metal album in 2010 at the age of 88, titled Charlemagne by the Sword and the Cross, which won the Spirit of Metal Award from the 2010 Metal Hammer Golden God Ceremony. He made a metal Christmas album in 2012. Fuck yeah! Now that is now that is an album I'm going to be downloading immediately. Uh, he was the oldest metal performer and the oldest musician to ever hit the Billboard music charts. So he just keeps racking up the accomplishments. In addition to his impossibly prolific film career, Lee was a world champion fencer, opera singer, spoke six language, and was pretty good at golf. There you go. Pretty good at golf. He was made a knight commander of the most excellent order of the British Empire in 2009, a commander of the Venerable Order of St. John in 97, made a commander of the Order of Arts and Letters by the French in 2011, earned his British Academy of Film and Television Arts Fellowship in 2011, received the Bram Stoker Award for Lifetime Achievement in 1994, and also other shit, they say. Exceptional human being. Exceptional human being. Here's the last fact. Despite everything you've heard about the six degrees of Kevin Bacon, Christopher Lee was recognized as being the most connected actor in the world in 2008 by Guinness World Records. He connects to virtually any actor in 2.59 steps. Fuck yeah. Any actor. Just pick an actor. 2.59 steps max. You got Christopher Lee. And that's Christopher Lee for you. And he played Rasputin. (laughs) And also knew the guys who killed him. I mean, that's that's kind of all you got to say. Yeah. Do you have any other comments about our, our viewing of Rasputin? I mean, it was a great movie. I liked it a lot. It was a, it was interesting. You guys, it was a recent purchase you guys made at a thrift store or whatever. Yeah. And it wasn't so much a horror movie, really. It wasn't a horror movie. It was it was it was a period piece. Yeah. In a way, and um, period piece made in the sixties, seventies, and it's horror studio, but. Uh, Horror studio, they used the horror Dracula sets and stuff like that. There was some dismemberment. A very small amount. A very small amount. Like, the one with the child abuse had more dismemberment. True. Um, (laughs) 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 So, like, the thing is, you bought a thrift store copy of the VHS tape, and the VHS tape wasn't very clean. (laughs) And, but, to me... It did do the auto-tracking quite a lot. Yeah, but it also it made it better. Yeah, in my in my opinion, because mm-hmm. we didn't lose much plot, and it would literally like there wasn't much to be lost. <laughs> there wasn't much to be lost. His Rasputin's drunk. <laughs> he's controlling. He can hypnotize. He's basically Christopher Lee. Let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> it's Christopher Lee if he was an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> so Christopher Lee's drunk. Christopher Lee is a. Uh, Running around, he's he's hypnotizing women into bed with him. He's hypnotizing himself into the royal court, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, he likes chocolates. Oh, now he's poisoned and he's dead. That's the plot. Yeah, they could have definitely made that a better plot. They could have done better with the deaths because the mythology we get. Mm-hmm. And I I don't know if I want mythology to be the word, but the history I hear is he. Yeah, was, it's fairly credible history. He was he was poisoned. Yes. Yeah. Um, but that didn't work because <laughs> <laughs> his respiratory. He was stabbed and he was shot and he was thrown into a fucking river and trying to drown him. And like at some point along the way, he eventually died. Here's what I read: um, he was poisoned. Yeah, but that didn't work, like you said. And then he was stabbed and shot. Mm-hmm. And the reason why the stabbing and shooting didn't work is because the poison 
actually slowed the bleeding. Yeah. So the poison worked against the other methods. Right. At which point he was thrown from a window into a river Mm -hmm. where supposedly he lost energy and drowned. Right. So that is a much more interesting... It is. Yeah. And I think that that could have been in the film. It wouldn't have been that much more... Yeah, in the film he got poisoned. He got he did get defenestrated, but it wasn't into a river. It was just like that was it. Yeah, he was defenestrated and he landed and on the ground, and then there was credits. Yeah, <laughs> like there's like no like moral story Aww. with it. It was yeah. It, I understand how Christopher Lee would get so disappointed with that studio's writing that he would be like, I'm just not going to talk in this one. <laughs> I'll take your money, but I don't want to talk. Yeah, I'll wear the suit. It's either the suit or talking. Which do you want? Suit? Okay, I'll wear the suit. <laughs> <laughs> so that was that one. That was that. Was, that was a uh, rest Putin. Yeah, it was an excellent film. This was an excellent Scott cast. Yeah, went pretty well. That's probably one of my favorite Scott casts in recent memory. Well, I'm glad to hear that. I hope it it turns out that way in uh, post. I mean, it had elements <laughs> of everything. It had it had deep deep discussion mm-hmm. it had christopher lee christopher lee's fucking badass yeah yeah if you made it through that if you made it through my meanderings on on topics i probably have no authority to discuss and you got to christopher lee uh, i'm i'm glad something was there for you at the end of that tunnel. <laughs> that's all i'm gonna say <laughs> so uh that's a great scott cast and please join us next week we, we will discuss more things we'll probably discuss sam neill's duck yeah. We will probably discuss uh, some Stephen King adaptations we're going to w- l- legally y- do. We're going to legally license some Stephen King uh, stories yeah. and, and and adapt them for Scott Cast. We, uh, I'm not too sure how we're going to do it or what the method is, but we're going to do it. There's going to be like- a Stephen King Presents Scott Cast episode coming up in the future this is why i like scott cast better than dispatch <laughs> this is way better i like i way i'm way more like just podcasting for master charles and sabelle and a handful mm-hmm. of other people uh, doing this stuff with ian fan favorite ian dixon and the sneaky d we're so aspirational we, this is really the better podcast in terms of like like the dispatch has a lot more attention because mm. we're I'm talking with a lot of artists who already have audiences and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Scottcast is as a piece of art. It's like the underground. Yeah, this is the, like if people are listening to Scottcast after coming to the dispatch mm-hmm. for some reason, like they enjoyed me on the dispatch and they're like, well, "I wonder what Scottcast is about," I, and you really enjoy it, like. That's that's my real goal with the dispatch. Mm-hmm. Is I just want it's trickle down podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like I'm going to get an enormous audience with the dispatch that is mostly irrelevant, mm. and one or two people from this dispatch is going to be like, I like that Scott guy. I wonder what he's up to. He keeps calling himself Scott from Scottcast. Wonder what that means. Do you ever feel like living underground? <laughs> <laughs> You sick of that fucking sun? Fuck the sun! <laughs> <laughs> I got some real shit over here. <laughs> so anyway, this is uh, been a, the super colorful original telecommunicated transmission, otherwise known as Scottcast, and I'll see you later, Scottcastigators. And uh, don't we bid the adieu? Adieu.